T to B. T to B, top to bottom. <laughs> but it I, is. It's fucking awesome. You made that into my vernacular, by the way. I don't remember. And why was it, I wasn't even talking about music. I was like, we got to clean this house, T to B. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fasolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello again and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. You're going to get two idiots for sure. And a list. It's up to you what you want to do with it. I'm here today with the man who put Maneater in his top five and had the audacity to talk down to me and the rest of mine, Mr. Nicholas Vasolo. So let me clear something up here. I wasn't talking down to you. I respect your musical talent, your musical talent and your tastes. Daryl Hall heats me up. He just got me revved up, and every every time I heard a song, or even just it was like Wild Hyacinth and the Three Stooges. Every time somebody would mention something, I would just I would it was a visceral response. I feel like Greg Marmalard after Mandy Pepperidge got out of the car. <laughs> All right, we are here today to talk to you about one of my favorite bands in college, The Doors. Are you a lucky little lady in the city of life? Your favorite too? I didn't realize that was your favorite band, or one of your favorite. I got into a heavy mode of sort of jammy, jammy music and stuff like the Allman Brothers, the Grateful Dead, Little Feet. Stuff that was kind of groovy, very 70s, late 60s. And I don't really remember how or why, how that happened. Like, And you also got into this band, and we didn't go to school together. This is the podcast I've waited my whole life to make. I fucking loved The Doors. Yeah. Love them. And again, I, w- I fucking hate jam bands. I don't I don't dig the, the Dead or Fish or any. I just don't like it. This is, to me, it wasn't really a, the, I never really saw The Doors as a jam band, but they do have some jammy songs there that run, you know, 10, 11 minutes, and we're going to get into that a little later, but I fucking love them. Yeah. Like, just like you, where did it come from? Like, I had listened to the Eagles and the Rolling Stones, and I was well aware of the Beatles and everything. And I was just kind of aware that the Doors existed as, you know, kind of in the formative years through the 80s. But when college hit, all of a sudden, this fucking Greek god just comes out of nowhere. And I'm telling you, I, I really think that it's Oliver Stone's movie. So I thought about that, too. I don't have any recollection of seeing the film. I remember the movie. But I don't remember seeing the film and then suddenly a light switch went on and I realized I'd been breathing partial oxygen for the last 20 years because (laughs) I didn't know about Jim Morrison and the Doors. I think it came into the culture and it's I I agree that it probably did come as a result of that film. I, it didn't happen for me from seeing that film and going, suddenly I, I love this band. And, and maybe somebody else saw it and it kicked with them and they started playing it and then I heard it. I don't know. The Doors movie comes out in 91 and I want to I want to say it came out in like, I want to 
Thanksgiving of 91 because I distinctly remember going out like the night of Thanksgiving to go see it in the middle of this horrible snowstorm. But I remember like, oh, fuck, yeah, we're going to see The Doors. So I was well into The Doors at that time, but I was not in high school at all. It was a college thing, and I I can't really tell you where it came from. We both have a mutual friend that was super into The Doors, and that to me was like, yeah, I'm going with you on this. What was, you know, what is Crystal Ship? Give me more of that. Right. Put, inject it into my veins. And it was, <laughs> it was, it it was everything. And then you, I picked up uh, the, the book, the Sugarman's book, uh, yep. No One Here Gets Out Alive. And just, that was it. It was a mythical figure who, you know, we got to like kind of rediscover through, you know, the college days and, you know, the college experimentations that we were doing as well. <laughs> Well, and back to the comment around jam bands, you know, I never thought of these guys as a jam band either. Uh, and it really wasn't until I was listening over the last week that it struck me that these guys are kind of a jam band. You know, they it, maybe not so much in the fact that they've got these big, long, extended songs, but more so that they fit within that same genre of sort of freewheeling. You could argue that the way they play their music is is sort of off the cuff. And and it certainly would fit in that sort of a scenario to see them with other bands of that ilk. They had to be because Jim Morrison was such an unpredictable person. Yes. And, and on stage and in the studio, he was unpredictable. And the way they would record, they would record things live. And so the drummer, Densmore, had to be very attuned to how fucked up Morrison is and where is he going with this. Yeah. And so he just keeps that kind of like ride symbol and get like kind of ticking away and like okay and and i think that they 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 made it work they did it works really well they did but yeah it was he was an unpredictable cat one of the things about that movie that kind of interested me was and and when you look into the history on morrison and what he did unpredictable is a is a great descriptor I think it would have been maddening to try to accomplish anything with this man because of the crazy interaction with drugs and alcohol and what may have been a slightly unhinged character to begin with. To begin with. But the the rest of the band, when that movie came out, they said, this movie unfairly depicts Jim Morrison. Like, they came to his defense, which I found interesting. I, I didn't think that that was something that you'd hear. The Doors only released five albums with Morrison before he, before he passed on. Mm-hmm. They were, after that fifth album... They said it's time to maybe part ways with with Jim, and then they came back and said, you know what, we kind of want to do a sixth. Unfortunately, it was too late. Hey, Kira Kira with a quick editor's note. I screwed that up. Morrison had six albums with The Doors, not five. To be fair, you're listening to a show called Two Idiots and a List. And now, back to the program. Run on one more time! But then then they went on and they they tried to get another couple of different singers. They would go on tour like in the late 70s and it just did not work out because pound for pound, Jim Morrison carried his band more than any other band I can think of. Yeah. Paul had John and, you know, Mick had Keith. And you just go down the line, and Dave had Al, uh, Alex. Yeah, uh, Dave had Eddie, um, but Jim Morrison had nobody. Jim Morrison, John Densmore, okay drummer, right? Session guy. Yeah. Uh, Rob Krieger, okay. Yeah. N- nobody was outstanding musically in that band. Manzarek really didn't. Ray Manzarek 
drives me wild because <laughs> he, he's very much in the Daryl Hall Hall of Fame there. He drives me wild because he played carnival music. Yeah. Like all of those keys underneath and the, the bullshit secondhand bass. Like the, the, here's how bullshit it was. They had to bring in session bassists to get the sound that they get on the album. But right. when he would go on tour, he was like, no, man, I got the bass line. Right. And he had that, whatever, they, what do they call it? The semiphone on top of his regular keyboard. And that was his bass guitar, yeah. That was his bass guitar. And he had pedals. And, and he was the guy that after Jim Morrison died would carry the torch the most for him. Right. And he would always pair himself with Jim Morrison as like, oh, me and Jim did this. Me, no, 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 no. Get it straight, Ray. <laughs> Jim Morrison carried the whole fucking load for you guys. And he was an unpredictable asshole. That I, I couldn't spend five mis- minutes with this guy. What, Morrison? No. No. No, no. he'd drive you insane. I don't need to be challenged with death. At every single meeting no, that was, I have with him, he was you a toddler. He was a toddler with a substance abuse problem. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was. He was a, a, a craven alcoholic, someone who has just substance abuse problems all throughout, and, and, and enablers everywhere. The sure. entire cl- you know clan around the doors just enabled Jim because he was an artist, right? right. And that's kind of like where I like as. Looking back at my infatuation with the Doors back in the night, I could not have been more clear about like I loved Jim Morrison. I loved everything about him. Right, his unpredictability. I almost tried to emulate at certain points in my <laughs> life, which was not a thing. I think I remember those days. Yeah. And you know the the jumping off of roofs and everything in the swimming pools, like those types of things. Are just like, and I'm looking back on it now, and I'm like, that was crazy. But like, where did that come from? I bought into the myth of Jim Morrison. Yeah. And I bought all the way in. And when you look back at it now, it's like he was just a character. Yeah. Like I think like if you if you a tragic one. Yeah, but it was a tragic one, but if you bought into the character you're like, "Oh fuck, yeah." Like uh, it was like watching a movie almost kind of like play out in through the music and through his myth that was built around him. And if you bought into that for real, like you were headed for some pretty rough times oh, yeah. yourself. Yeah. But if you bought into it as like, that's a character that he's, he's funny to watch kind of like, you know, a Kramer type of character like that. I don't know. There's a difference there. Yeah. And I bought into the myth. Yeah. In the 90s. I think we all did. Yeah. There was something sexy about him in, in a way that really shouldn't have been sexy. Yeah. I, I found an odd fact for this. Uh, his father was a rear admiral yeah. in the Navy, uh, was running the show during the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which essentially pulled the U.S. a little more deeply into the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And you're the history teacher. You probably can yeah. enlighten more on the facts there. Well, but, we won't um, get into the facts, quote unquote, of the <laughs> Gulf of Tonkin. But yeah, go ahead. He was also there for Pearl Harbor. So when you when you think about a, a, a guy who's that unhinged and that freewheeling and he has what has to be a a straight laced tough as nails kind of guy. You don't get to that kind of mm-hmm. rank in in the military without being a real hard screw. And maybe that's why Morrison kind of you know ended up the way he he did. I don't know. Morrison leaves his family in Florida, where I assume his father is stationed or retired or whatever, to California. Cuts off all communications with his mother, his father, and his brother, and a sister. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even know, like you know, in the in the myth of Jim Morrison, you do not know about his family because he no. cut them off completely. As a matter of fact, his his brother 
was listening to like break on through for months because it was a you know it was a it was a pretty big single for them and somebody told him was like hey man have you seen the cover of this band that you're listening to and he's like that looks like my brother he had no fucking idea it was (laughs) jim morrison like that's super Uh, that's crazy crazy like that you cut off your family that deep and they tried to like reconcile or get back in touch jim wanted nothing to do with them at all and and so whatever trauma he's walking around with i don't understand it i don't get it he never really talked about it in public because you couldn't get a straight word out of him because he was always fucked up yeah yeah i thought it was interesting that they didn't perform an autopsy on him that just seems i don't know suspect (laughs) questionable uh, really i don't know i'll just go back to dennis leary's you know great line about him he's like here's jim morrison i'm drunk i'm nobody i'm drunk i'm famous i'm drunk i'm fucking dead big fat dead guy in a bathtub and that pretty much sums it up yeah speaking of his death this guy is buried in paris in a cemetery called Père Lachaise. And if you ever have, you know, if you ever happen to find yourself in Paris, check out Père Lachaise Cemetery. It's totally worth it. I've been there twice. It's easy to get to. It's hilly with mature trees. Monuments are giant. It's full of like a ton of famous people, politicians, writers, Oscar Wilde's in there, Chopin. If you're into the lost art of miming, Marcel Marceau is in there. So Morrison's in there too. And when I was there the first time, which was about 30 years ago, there was no barrier around his tomb and the headstone is just covered in wax from people leaving candles on it and stuff. Now it's got a barrier to keep people from leaving stuff there. But it's great. There's always kids smoking grass around the tomb. We were there the last time with uh, with my family and they were like, dude, there's kids here and, you know, fired off the joint like a rocket. So hey, there's your travel recommendation if uh, if you're looking for one. All right. Well, perhaps we should begin the journey here down the list uh would you like to begin yeah i just want to make one other point is like we're trying to define them as like a jam band and everything like that it's like well they're, they're, they've also been kind of like anointed as the kings of acid rock but like it's trippy rock but like you know when you go through their career they start their career in 67 well by that time rubber soul had been out since 65 pet sounds is 66 the airplane is already making their music. So I'm, I don't know. I'm not really convinced that they're the kings of acid rock. However, they are more relatable than any of those other things. Even like I'm the walrus and shit. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's it's the Beatles. I get it. We're all infatuated with where do you come up with, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It's great and everything like that. Jefferson Airplane has, you know, the White Rabbit. And that's a trippy song. But it's not relatable. Right. Jim Morrison brought a poetry to that type of music that was all pretty much relatable. Like you can, you hear his music, you hear his lyrics, and you're like, yeah, I can see, like, even in the end, like, when he's talking about, you know, this, this edible complex that he may, may not right. have with his mother, like, everybody, like, those are classic, you know, themes. And he brought that poetry kind of to the front of the music because what's happening behind him is, you know, session music, just kind of going along with his poetry. And that's, that's kind of where I come off on it. It's like, it's not necessarily acid rock, but it was, it's different because he's relatable because he was such a good, he was really a talented wordsmith. Yeah. You know, I, his poetry is, is both deep and yet accessible, which I think is, you know, part of the reason for their success. And they cut through what, five years. It was only five years, mm-hmm. 67 to 71. They were done. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, here we are still talking so that's the funny thing about it is that in the 90s they come back and like we are looking backwards at what so it's 20 years from that point 91 
and we were looking back at music and this guy, this myth figure of, you know, 20 years ago. That's the same as somebody now, kids today, looking back at like, you know, the early 2000s. Like, who, who do they have? Like, <laughs> right? with, Limp Biscuit? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, where is their mythological yeah. figures? Right? Lincoln Park. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, yeah, they have that that dude, but I mean, he also <laughs> had a tragic end too. But anyhow, let's move on. I don't think that Lipscomb needs any more. Far too much to airtime already. <laughs> right. All right. What you got for our honorable mention? I I like this honorable mention because I don't. This is like the first Doors tune that I was ever really kind of aware of that that was actually a Doors tune, and the only reason why I knew it was because I watched a lot of TV, tons on cable. <laughs> And one of the movies that was always on was uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi's movie Neighbors. Oh, yeah. You ever see it? Uh, I think maybe once. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what it's about. I don't recall. It's just a weird, weird fucking movie. And for a, a 12-year-old to be watching it over and over and over, it's just strange. It's strange. But um, one of the, the title, uh, Dan Aykroyd's characters is this sleazy guy. Um, you know, he was dancing to Hello, I Love You. Hello. And he did this really funky dance to it, and I was was like, man, I really like that song. And then later on, I find out it's The Doors. Now, Hello, I Love You is good. There was a, a note I saw that said The Kinks threatened to sue The Doors for copyright infringement because Hello, I Love You uses an identical chord sequence as their song All Day and All of the Night. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Which was released four years before uh, Hello, I Love You. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ray Davies actually put the kibosh on it, Hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. That's a stand-up bloke. Yeah, right? (laughs) We don't need to sue these guys. It's really not that close. Actually, it's fairly close. Yeah, it's pretty close. (laughs) I'm not content to be with you in the daytime. Girl, I want to be with you all of the time. All right, so for my honorable mention, I have Love Me Two Times. Love Me Two Times, girl. All right, this made my list, but not not the top not five. the top five. <laughs> Love me two times. Uh, I really like the guitars in this. I, I like the sort of crunchy start. I like the um, just the, the way the way it plays out. It's a short song. It's a uh, it's a little over three minutes. Uh, Manzarek's actually playing a harpsichord in this. Not not as <laughs> Moog. <he> is. <laughs> not as Moog keyboard or or Hammond organ. I don't think he played a Hammond organ. But uh, it was controversial. It was banned in in certain areas of the country. Notably, Connecticut, and we'll talk about Connecticut again in a second here. Morrison had some some interesting history in Connecticut. But Manzarek said of Love Me Two Times, this is Robbie Krieger's great blues classic about lust and loss, or multiple orgasms, I'm not sure which. (laughs) 
I guess it's up to you to decide. Cobra is such a cut-up. <laughs> yeah, Krieger wrote a lot of their stuff. A lot. Yeah. A lot more than I thought he did. Yeah. Well, I don't know where else the music would have come from. Like, Morrison was not a musician. And Densmore was like, you know, like a, he was a timekeeper. He was a good timekeeper. So I think Krieger is like the larger part of, of you know, where the music comes from. The interesting about the uh, Love Me Two Times... Um, there is while we were going through college and everything like this, and through my Morrison phase, um, and it wasn't really a phase; it was more like a year and a half. Uh, there's a, a person in my life. Uh, you know, these people just kind of come in and out of your life, especially during colleges. You're based on different relationships of people that you know. And there was a really, really sweet kid that was a fantastic musician. Just, just could pick up a guitar, listen to something, and just start playing it. And he was really, in, in. Uh, I remember we were hanging out one night and with a, with a handful of people, and he's like. Uh, because I always, always had a door shirt on. Always. <laughs> I remember that. You did yeah. have a lot of door shirts. Always. And uh, he's like, you like the doors, man? I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're speaking my language, my friend. He pulls out his guitar. And we, this is not the first time I met him. I knew he was like, you know, musical guy. And he started, he's like, you want to, he's like, he started playing Love Me Two Times. And I, of course, started singing along because Morrison was not a great singer. He was a crooner. No. Yeah. Like, you know, when you listen to him, he was a crooner. He wasn't a great, you know, vocalist. But so as a crooner, like, those are pretty easy lyrics to sing in the register that I could sing in. And I, I belted it out. And he's like, hold on a second. And he gets out his mic stand. And we had, like, a six-song concert where he would just keep – he's like, what other song do you know by that? I'm like, name it, dude, because I know them all. And he's like, well, let's do Light My Fire. And oh, my I, God. Why just, weren't cell phones around in those days to get a recording of that? I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> I wouldn't have a job. That would that was so, um, and I just that that alone was like you know I was like oh this is my dream like maybe we can be the the Doors touring band <laughs> and then and then I think we passed out on the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what you got for number five? All right, so my number five is another one of those. Well, they're all singable songs, but uh, the Crystal Ship. Before you slip into unconsciousness, I'd like to have another kiss, another flashing chance and bliss, another kiss, another kiss. I love this tune. Yeah. It's so eerie and so spooky. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, which you're always trying to figure out, like, what the lyrics were actually, right. like, meaning. And so what is the crystal ship? Is everybody's, you know, is that the, the stairway to heaven type deal? Is that, like, you know, is this the, um, something that we're going to do uh, moving on, you know, into the next, uh, you know, life or something like that? But it's just, it's really cool, and it's one of my favorites, uh, you know, I, I know I shit on Ray, but the, the key chord progression that he does in the middle of the song is kind of the build up to the last verse is really... That's really the coolest stuff. Oh, tell me well. Yeah, it's cool. And it's only two and a half minutes long. A lot of their songs were really short. In and out. 
yeah, they, they didn't screw around. They just kind of banged in, banged out, did their stuff, and, and went on. Which, I, you know, I've, I've had, I had one of their live albums, and I've you know, listened to a lot of their live stuff. I didn't, I'm curious, it would be interesting to like truly experience them live because it's, it's hard to take it in from the live album alone, right? There's yeah. got to be some, some theater here with Morrison that doesn't translate on the, on the album itself. But, you know, I, I got to believe that they took a lot of these songs that were two and a half or three minutes long and turned them into 10 minute epics with probably yeah. him babbling on. I don't know, but. Oh, there's a lot of that going on in his live shows. A lot of corralling him from backstage to get him away from whatever <laughs> yeah, woman he's right? trying to assault at right. that moment. Yeah. Yep. All right. My number five is Peace Frog. Love Peace Frog. My number two. Oh, very good. Go for it. All right. funky guitar in this it just the, you know it opens up with that funky guitar the rhythm just kind of makes you move the, the lyrics are cool you know he talks about blood in the streets in the town of new haven that's a reference to one of the things that really jacked up connecticut on on the doors and morrison they had a show in new haven connecticut and Morrison was making out with a girl in a bathroom at the gig when a cop came in and told them to leave. Morrison told the cop to eat it, and the cop pulled a can of mace on him, and the cop said to him, last chance, and Morrison said, last chance to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And the cop maced him. So the concert was delayed for like an hour while he recovered, and then he went on stage and made up a song about little men in blue, and they ended up pulling him off and, and arresting him. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great song. There's a there's a walk up in the middle that's great, and then it goes into this really plucky little guitar solo before dropping down into some Morrison poetry. I just I, I really like this song. I think it's a great, great tune. Yeah, yeah. It's my like I said, it's my number two. It's uh, it's it's a little different than some of their other stuff, but not not too far off the beaten path from you know um, their mainstream stuff. And, and Peace Park was one of those songs that I came to a much much later after getting through um, you know their their first couple of albums. And um, yeah, it's I always left the, the 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 first line. There's blood in the street. It's up to my ankles. I'm like, tell me more, Jim. Yeah, tell me speak, more about that. Speak to me baby <laughs> well that's the thing about morrison right he's the essence of rock and roll what is what is rock and roll what is the essence of it? it's danger right? right that's why 
we like it, right? Because all these things are like, you know, it's the, the electric guitars are dangerous sounding. The big booming crashing cymbals and the drums are dangerous sounding. And the front man, if he's dangerous, like even go back to like Little Richard and uh, Jerry Lou Lewis. Those guys are fucking dangerous in the late 50s. Yeah. They scared the shit out of mothers and fathers. And like, that's why they were great. Right. right? And Morrison was all into it. Oh, like, yeah. He was... He was a dangerous, unpredictable animal on stage, in the studio, in his own life. Like, so it, yeah. So it made him attractive yeah. to us. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why we like he was so unpredictable. And you know, in your twenties, like I guess, like you're after that, right? Yeah, you're you're bulletproof when you're twenty. And, and that's the other thing. You're bulletproof. You're you're completely invincible. And you know, as Morrison was like, you know, was mytholo- myth- mythologized to be. Right. He wasn't. You know, right. he would obviously croak right. at twenty seven. Yeah. But you know, it's just like you, it was the perfect you know twenties fuck you right. And you never get that fuck you back. By the way, <laughs> you know, for those of you who are in your twenties, live it up. That's because right. in your thirties, you chase it a little bit. In your forties, you just kind of succumb to like you'll never get that fuck you attitude back no nope. which is fine you know i think that's the general progression and, and when you do run into someone in their you know late 40s 50s that still has it you're like oh boy mm. <laughs> let's avoid this guy mm-hmm. all right what do you have for number three are we on number three? no we're on no, number, we're on number four. four what do you have for number four roadhouse blues oh yeah yeah This, this is my number three. Yeah, the way the song starts out, when he's, you know he's drunk behind the wheel of a car, and he's all he's talking about is going to find more drinks. Like, that's that pretty much sums up my early 20s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah, Where are the drinks? <laughs> We're already drunk. Where are there fucking more drinks? <laughs> <laughs> the Endless Quest. Yeah. <laughs> I love the grungy guitar in this. Um, great repeating kind of blues riff that just crunches and one of my favorite aspects of this song is the harmonica they, yeah they just they don't overdo it it's this great sort of accent in concert with the guitar you know doing what they're doing yeah it's perfectly placed and then you've got that kind of walking bass line in the choruses that really kind of brings it up and and, you know, then they, they cut back in and you got you got Jim yelling, you know, do it, Robbie, do it. Yeah, it's that's the best. Fantastic. <laughs> His voice on this track, I don't know if it sounded better on any other track. I think I think you're right. But like a, he swallowed like a can full of gravel and just like belted this thing. Oh, yeah. Out. It was, it's that was fantastic. Ten packs of cigarettes and, and a, you know, a gallon of whiskey. Let's go into the recording I studio. Yeah. Do it, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I would have loved to have seen this song live. I mean, imagine belting out, woke up this morning and got myself a beer at the yeah. top of your lungs with, with Jim on stage. That was like our Pledge of Allegiance. You know, I woke up and got myself a beer. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking That's about, right. Jim. That's right. I'm there. Alice Cooper claims he was the inspiration for that lyric. I know. I would like to believe otherwise. I, yeah. That feels a little far-fetched to me. Stay on the golf course, Al. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, my number four is Soul Kitchen. Yes. The cars crawl past all stuffed with eyes. Street lights share their hollow glow. Your brain seems bruised with numb surprise. Still one place to go. Still one place to go. Let me sleep all night in your soul kitchen. Another great one, like like the, the the lyric. Let me sleep all night inside your soul kitchen. I'm it's fantastic. Here for, I'm here for all of it. It's fantastic. <laughs> he wrote that in tribute to a soul food restaurant in Venice Beach. He would stay there too late, and they'd kick him out. Hence the line, "Let me sleep all night in your soul kitchen." That kind of brings a different meaning to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great early '60s feel to this song between the vocals and the keyboards, it sounds like you could be listening to the Hollies. Then they kick into this sort of slightly heavier chorus. Mm-hmm. I love the groove of this song. There's just, everything about it works for me. It's uh, it just it's just a feel-good kind of tune. One critic called it the Doors version of Gloria by Van Morrison. That's a pretty apt comparison. I don't put Van Morrison and the Doors necessarily in the same boat, but it has that sort of feel to it—a little bit of a anthemic kind of feel. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's great, and you're right. It's a early rock and roll kind of groove to it, early rock and roll kind of sound to it. And again, his vocals just nailed it. It's really—I really like that song. Yeah, yeah. All right, what you got for number three? Uh, my number three is uh, five to one. want to talk about dangerous songs like you know this is a protest song um straight away and he comes out with it too you know uh, it's like you know five to one one in five no one here gets out alive like that is an awesome yearbook quote <laughs> yes like if you see that yes. in the yearbook and the kids picture and that's right. the, the quote and you're like okay let's party yeah or, or <laughs> let's let the fbi know who this yeah, is that's right yeah it's a great yearbook quote. You know, they've got the guns, but we've got the numbers. Like, you know, that's, it's, he's calling for open revolution is yeah. what he's calling it for against the gun government. And um, just the plotting bass groove, and it's not a lot of music going on behind it. It's it's it's, a, it's more important of what Jim is saying. Yeah. And I think he was really feeling himself on this track. Like, you know, he has already got himself, you know, a notoriety and a popularity for being an outspoken front man of a band. And, uh, you know, this is off of, 
you know, their third album, and you know, he's he wants to say something here, right? And right. I, I really, um, I think I I was always in, just in, enraptured by the songs because it's a fucking you know, it's a violent song. Yeah, it's a deep tune. Mm-hmm. I also think it has probably one of the best guitar solos out of their catalog. Mm-hmm. really like his guitar solo in this yeah yeah it serves the song well and enough to like you know let everybody know that the, the music the musicians are here um i'm gonna do my thing and i'm gonna get out of the way and jim take over yeah right. <laughs> all right uh you sniped my number three i had roadhouse blues oh, okay so that brings us to the question of What's your dream concert with these guys? Who are you going to see with the Doors? Well, let me. I'm going to bring in the Rolling Stones from Altamont, along with their attaché of Hell's Angels. <laughs> to beat the shit out of you when you uh... run security, Carrot, <laughs> run security. Listen, you want to beat the best, you got to be the best. That's right. That's... Are they all going to be carrying broken pool cues? Is that what they're? Yeah, there'll uh... be no stabbings. There'll be no murders <laughs> in the front row. But I'm going to bring on the Altamont uh, uh, Rolling Stones. I'm going to have my own little Summer of Love concert. So the Rolling Stones are going to do their jam. Uh, then I'm going to bring out the Jefferson Airplane. Put a head on. I like that. Get a little trippy. Oh, yeah. Just get about five songs out of them, and they got to go. Hit me with a little White Rabbit. Yeah. And uh, don't you dare fucking play We Built This City. <laughs> don't you dare. Get off of my stage now. I love that song. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Now you're getting a little of the Daryl Hall treatment. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were immune. Touche, pussycat. <laughs> Bring on the airplane and give me a good half hour of White Rabbit because I want to peak. Oh, right? yeah, right. <laughs> I want to peak. Yeah. Right when the doors, you know, scrim drops, I want the, the big um, curtain that, that hides the doors set. I want that to be the album cover of uh, Break On Through with Jim reaching out so I could peak to that. <laughs> And then the curtain curtain's going to drop, and it's 50-50 where Jim's, if Jim's on the stage or not. Oh. Because... I, I think you're giving that far too high a chance. Yeah, he's going to be so rocked out by the stones. Oh, like, and he's so, so that's why I'm putting the doors at the end, not because the, 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 the head of the bill, but because you never know. He could fucking ruin it. And, and you, you want him nice and tweaked up by the time yeah, he gets in there, yeah, too. And you might... Like, he was Axl Rose before there were Axl Rose. Like, he was such <laughs> right. a prima donna, and, and, you know, he's, you know, shit-faced, and he can't take the mic. Although some of the worst performances are when he was shit-faced and you couldn't get the mic out of his fucking hands. Right. So that's my lineup. All right. I had Janis Joplin on the ticket here. Ooh, I yeah. thought, you know, hearing her uh, belt out with that sandpaper voice, yep. some of some of her big stuff, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun to see live. Uh, I also, and I'm not a giant fan of this band, but I've, I, I do respect uh, some of the stuff they did and, and some of their protest music. I had Credence Clearwater on the uh, on the bill. Yeah, there's something about uh, what's his face, John um, Fogarty. Fogarty. Something about his voice that sometimes really works for me and sometimes really doesn't. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Simple that is. songs though, man. Yeah, just simple three chords and man, they did so much with that. Just three oh, chords. Yeah, That's yeah. It. right. And if you want to hear a tragic story, go look into what he did in selling the rights to his music. It's Yo. it's pretty awful. Uh, and then musicians just get fucked. Oh, they get fucked. Yeah, just yeah. sideways <laughs> with a two by four. 
Joplin and CCR, they can come on for a yeah, half hour, 45 minutes, and then give me a good two-hour, three-hour set of the Doors. <laughs> At his best, doing the Doors' greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, right? If you can give it, just give me that, Jim. Which was another fantastic compilation oh, yeah. of greatest hits. And That and Journey. Everybody that I knew in college had those two greatest hits yeah. albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really think of any other greatest hits albums yeah. that made the, made the rounds. But those two, Although the double for, albums. <laughs> comparing like the, the two greatest hits... Journey's greatest hits encompassed like ninety nine percent of all the good music they did, whereas the Doors' <laughs> yeah, the, the Doors' greatest hits that you you can you can listen to uh, you can listen to that first album and we've we've bandied about the term perfect album you know with a few other bands. Mm-hmm. I think you could throw one or two, maybe even more of the Doors albums into that same conversation. Their first album's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. It's fantastic. T to B. Yep. That's my term. T to B. T to B. Top to bottom. <laughs> but I, it is. It's fucking awesome. You made that into my vernacular, by the way. I don't remember. Why was it, I wasn't even talking about music. You I was like, put, we got to clean this house. T to B. <laughs> We're going to roast all the cauliflower. T to B. <laughs> Stem to stir. <laughs> Oh well, shit! That, so that that first Doors album is fantastic all the way, um, and I was going to save this because it didn't like. I'll save it. I'll save it for the end. All right. That brings us to our number twos. What you got? No. Well, my number two was Peace Frog. Number two was Peace Frog. Yeah. All right. I had a hard time with this one because I wrestled with whether this was number two or it was number one, and I'm I'm not going to change it. But you could easily flip flop this with with number one. My number two is the end. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The end of everything that stands. The end. No safety or Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't bring it up, but go ahead. I love this song. And this song kind of summarized the time in my life when I was listening to this band. And you talk about peaking. I'm here for all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was... uh, I I had a, a, a buddy in school that we had a ritual that included White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. And it included the end. And this is a long, rambling song. And we actually listened to a live version of it off of a double disc that I had that I can't find oh. anymore. And when they peak... Orgasmic. They peak. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to reference a song with a climax, this is it. I mean, this song reaches a climax. And you referenced earlier the Oedipal... Uh, sort of complex that that Morrison likes to dabble in, he does with this as well. And there's uh, just volumes of explanations on what this song is really about, and some of them are kind of interesting. And and I thought about trying to bring them up here, but it would it's, it would go on to like a long rambling thing. It's an incredible song, an incredible an song, incredible song. And I so I didn't put it on my number one. 
because I'm gonna break the rules here and I put it in like the pantheon. Ooh. Like this is a different type of song for me. Yeah, yeah. I have a different number one, but I had the same problem that you had. Like I couldn't know how you decide. This this song is so you know, we had the same experience. The funny thing is that you had this ritual with the White Rabbit and the end. We had the same ritual at Northern, except for White Rabbit, we had um, Dr. Hook's cover of Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Fucking great tune, right? And you play them back to back, and it's like, we are fucking ready to go now. It's all charged up. Yeah. <laughs> it's ready to go clear. Boom. <laughs> No, it was. It was just, you just did it. And we did it every time. I mean, it wasn't like... When you hear the tinkling of the cymbal and Krieger's guitars start heading off, it is so far from your mind that this song is almost 11 minutes long. And I never, ever listen to songs over 11 11 minutes long. I just don't. Like, no, who the fuck's got time for that shit? This song, as soon as those tinkling goes, I'm like, I'm, I'm settling in. Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, it's in. like you, you flip the feet out on the Lazy Boy and crack a fresh one, and you go, all right, I've got absolutely nothing to do for the next 11 minutes, and I couldn't be happier. I hear the blue bus, too. So when it's calling us, it's calling all of us. That's right. And when I'm riding the snake. Driver, won't you take me there? <laughs> and then the best la- I love, like... The West is the best. He's like imploring. He's like, how many times do I have to fucking tell you people the West is the best? Come to California. Just get here. We'll do the rest. It's so awesome. And then the peak when he kills his father. Right. And then, the, you know, the whole mother thing. Please. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Morrison said, I really don't know what I was trying to stay trying to say. Mm-hmm. It just started out as a simple goodbye song, probably just to a girl, but I could see how it could be goodbye to a kind of childhood. I really don't know. It could be almost anything you want it to be. I'm good with that explanation. Right? You, it's a plug and play option. You you charge up whatever it is that you want to tie this to and go. So imagine being at the whiskey. When they're playing this right. as their house band. Which is where they developed it. Mm-hmm. Right? They developed the whole first album. This is the reason why it only took, what, a week to record? Right. To like, go do that in the studio and put it, press it on vinyl. Imagine having a, a head full of whatever your drug of choice is. And this is the first time you hear that shit go on. Right. In, in the midst of all the other stuff that's happening around music at that time, mm-hmm. that's got to be mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. Right? right? Oh, it's yeah. Blowing. It's not I'm the walrus. It's I'm going to kill my father and fuck my mother. <laughs> That's right. out there. <laughs> you know, it's way out there. <laughs> it's great. And Stone did, when he, in his movie, he did a, a good job placing you in that room. I, You know, as I recall, that because it's been a long time since I've watched the movie. By the way, kudos to Val Kilmer. Oh, man. You fucking nailed it. And talk about, like, all right, so uh, Remy Malik is that the name of yes. the guy that did Freddie Mercury and yes. Queen? He lip-synced all of those all lyrics. Of right. Val Kilmer sang every one of those songs. Yep. I mean, he the fact that he didn't get any kind of a nod for that in terms of a, know. You know, a golden statue is a shame because I thought he killed it too. And I haven't seen it in, I don't know, 20 years. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know if it lasts, but I remember it. Being, I remember being really entertained by it, and also as a fan of obviously the Doors. Yeah, give me some death. Like, see, that's the stuff I just don't. I know I wouldn't be able to handle Morrison as much as I even back then. Even as much as I loved him and the, the idea of him, like, I don't need to be challenged with death ever at every turn, Jim. Not everything is that you know. You know. Yep. <laughs> you burn the turkey. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> which I don't know if it's a real show, but it was in the movie. Anyhow, um, to to be fair to Remy Malik, there's not a lot of people in the world that can do Freddie Mercury. No, you know what I mean. And and there's a I can do fucking Jim Morrison. Right. You know, right. so it's like... No, and, and Remy Malik did a great job. But. but I do remember that being part of the myth of the, of the movie. It was like, he's saying everything. I'm like, oh, all right. well, he fucking got it, man. Yeah, yeah. and he mom. looked like him. Yeah. He moved like him. Mm-hmm. He was great. <laughs> all right, I think uh, so. That brings us to our number one. So because number yeah. I sniped your number two. What right. you got for number one? Uh, well, like I said, the end was, you know, that's in a uh, different type of uh, stratosphere. Uh, so I went with Break On Through. You know the day destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, yeah. We sniped each other. What a way to arrive. Oh, yeah. As a band. The first song off the first album. You know, the day destroys the night, and the night divides the day. Oh, it's, the poetry is fantastic. <laughs> try to run, try to hide. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what are you selling, dude? Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And then it challenges you. It challenges you to break on through to the other side. Just go. Yeah. Like, he's like, with, you know, everybody come with me. We're breaking on through. And I think that was like the magic of the doors where but the Beatles is kind of like, you know, Strawberry Fields, you know, picture yourself. You know, like, great music, great music, great songs, weird shit. Love it. I'm in for it. But this guy is like, let's go. We're breaking on through. Oh, fantastic. His lyrical juxtaposition, to use a $20 word, I like it. is phenomenal. Like he writes a love song. I found an island in your arms, a country in your eyes. And then he busts out with arms that chain, eyes that lie. I mean, that's right. It's that's fantastic. Right. The duality. Yeah, right. Love. <laughs> it makes you Is that think a peace fun. sign on your helmet, soldier? <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah. This was an anthemic party song for me. Like, oh. I just, once it, you know, if, if this broke out around, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock at night, you you just started jumping. It, it, you know, so it was, we, Kirk and I went to college at the same time in, in the early 90s, so you had all different types of, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, the, those things going on at the parties, <laughs> your occasional CC music factory happening. <laughs> and uh, when this song would come on, because inevitably it would. Yep. It was like a, a a shroud of I don't know like light would just come over you and you're like you I, I was I was inhabited by the spirit of Jim Morrison. Oh yeah, all of it was being sung with his ferocity. Of course, yes. and if it, the song would come on, and and if you were in let's say a bigger party with with friends that you had mm-hmm. been scattered about, and the song would come on, you'd immediately look around like where you know yeah, where where's commonality people? or where's my people? Where's my people? <laughs> People who understand That's right. the doors to and, break on through. And then you proceeded to irritate everybody within a 20-foot radius. Yeah, it was, I, well, don't, I don't think about that often. We arrived at the same number one, and, and I guess that doesn't surprise me because it is such a phenomenal song. It really is great. Yeah. And it's uh, what another, what, three minutes, 20 seconds? Yep. In and out. I said what I had to say, and yeah. I blew your fucking mind. In three minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's here's a challenging category for for me for this band. This was a challenging category. What's your most hated? Okay, so the most hated is uh, later on in their career. They, I, I think Rothschild, uh, Paul Rothschild, was their producer throughout their whole career, and I think that he saw Jim Morrison kind of flagging 
like in the later years and he's like all right we got to change this up because the times are changing gents um and he brought in horns yeah on their fourth album yeah and touch me is one of those drives me nuts yeah. come on come on come on now touch me babe can't you see that i am not afraid what was that promise that you got those cornet that's please it's just, i don't want it in my door songs yeah i don't I, i'll take fucking men's eric's you know bass keyboard whatever i'll take it if it gets to me the gym but i do not want horns and the like the touch me and, and i just i don't like it i don't like it and he sounds bloated when he's singing the song it's not like the right. live you know slender jim morrison slinking around the stage in his leather pants that he no, never took off it's late years elvis at that point exactly it's it's uh, it's i don't like it I had um, I had two on here that that because I couldn't really decide on it, so I guess I'll I'll throw them both out. I had waiting for the sun. And there's an '80s sci-fi almost Tron like sound of the keyboards. Shitty British sci-fi, like Doctor Who. You know, and then they repeat waiting over and over and over. Waiting. All right, come on, let's get on with it. And then there's another one that I would tend to skip whenever it came up, and it was Light My Fire, and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure why. I'll tell you why. Do you want me to tell you why? I, yes. It's, it's fucking Manzarek again. Is it? Those keys. That's fucking carnival music. It is. <laughs> yeah. And he it is. That's exactly it. right. That's exactly right. The way that chorus runs, you're just like, it, it feels childish. The lyrics are incredible. Yeah. They're really yeah. incredible lyrics. Burning your love on a funeral pyre. Right. Please. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are incredible. He ruins it with that fucking, those keys, and they're immediately, and he won't stop. They're relentless. Yeah. They're constant. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So I think that's why. Like, I, I, I hate that I, song, too. I think that pretty much nailed it. All right, what's your best four seconds? Oh, the, the well, I talked about the key run-up in uh, Crystal, Crystal Ship, uh, but there are so many others, like, when he breaks down and finally is going to kill his father in the end. Yes. Father, yes, son, I want to kill you. Mother, I want to. And the beginning part of the end, I think, also sticks with me because it's around this time where I started to watch Apocalypse Now just about every day for maybe seven or eight months in a row. <laughs> yeah. And it begins with that, and then Martin Sheen is on the bed, and the helicopter's flying across the screen. It's like, I was, I mean... It Smitten. Was a, it was a drug. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it was yeah. like... Um, so I would say, like, you know, those the best four seconds is like the beginning four seconds of the end.
really awesome. All right. It's like easing into a bath. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very comfortable. <laughs> very comfortable. I had uh, in 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 the song when the music's over, mm-hmm. he overdubs his singing on "We Want the World and We Want It Now." And then it goes into a, a drum roll, and he screams now, and yeah. the band kicks back in and rocks out. I have that too. We want the world, and we want it. We want the world, and we want it. Now. Now. I have that on my list too. Yeah, I love that. All of it. Yeah. I love all of it. Oh yeah. But the, that the, the the overdubbing of his because uh, he sounds almost kind of devilish. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And and uh, then with that the horrifying scream. Ooh. Yep. Mm. Yep. All right. And so, what does he say? Like we want the world and we want it now. Now. And then he <laughs> and then he comes back and he goes now. Yeah. And <laughs> this is not don't stop believing. No. No. Is, we're coming. No. This we're is coming to take it. Watch out, assholes. <laughs> I love. It. I think that might be also why you know why we're trying to figure out why we hit the doors twenty years later in our twenties. It's because of that those messages. Yeah, like this is our turn now. No, absolutely. We're, we're using our parents' music to do it <laughs> <laughs> because we have fucking. Oh my journey. god, this was the farthest thing <laughs> from my your... parents' music yeah. that you could ever possibly put in. Engelbert oh, Humperdinck. <laughs> Not even that. Uh, well, all right. So speaking of of journey. Steve Perry or Jim Morrison? Come on, who's, not even a question. Who's, who's, the question? Better, who's the better vocalist? Are you kidding? <laughs> Come on. All right, vocalist? Yeah. No, man. No. <laughs> what do you mean? Are you talking about Steve Perry singing for the doors? I'm just saying. <laughs> who's the better what vocalist? You, no way. No. <laughs> no. I have to agree with you on this. <laughs> I have to agree with you. And frankly, I don't think that, that Jim Morrison is that talented of of a singer from the state, you know, in terms of the quality and whatnot of his voice. But the way that he does what he does with the tools that he has, yeah. you're like, holy shit, this guy it's, is something else. It's, it's good that he was in a band with kind of like mm, musicians, because if he was in a band with like better musicians or people who yeah, are well, wanted part of the He would have gotten washed out. He would have been washed out. Here's a better question for you. How much would you pay for Journey's Greatest Hits sung by Jim Mortison? <laughs> wow you just lobotomized me with that right, question right? i saw it in your eyes like nothing computed <laughs> well wait wait oh my gosh wow don't wow. stop believing man <laughs> i need to put the end on him i'm about to peak all right sisters of mercy do you want more i've dropped like i haven't listened to the doors in a long time I don't know why. I think I just put it away as like kind of like keepsakes for you know we, your twenties. We rode that hard for did, a long did. time. It got to the point where people at parties were like, "Stop yeah, fucking playing it." Yeah, we, we get it. <laughs> and 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 by the way, I just you're not him. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, of course. Uh, and I so I put it away for that. But when I listen to that, like there is no cringe factor for me of listening to that. When you listen to the outfield, there's a cringe factor. <laughs> Okay. By the way, I found that I had three of their albums. Holy shit! That's three. You had the box set. 
That's got to comprise their entire catalog. I, I have to imagine. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. But there's, like, like, there's things you listen to like, like I bought the fucking Crash Test Dummies. Okay? Yeah. There I said it. Yeah. Hi, my name is Nick, and I bought the Crash Test Dummies. I will never, ever listen to that album again. <laughs> Those guys are floating on a, on a yacht somewhere <laughs> because a lot of people bought that album for one song. The Campbell Soup song. That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, that's so, so cringy. We'll get around to one hit waters one of these days. That's right. Uh, but, so, uh, do like you the, want more of the yeah, doors? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, for sure. Because I forgot you. like how much fun and how much they, they meant to me. It's so great. I'm with you, and and I I would be more than happy. And that feels like you know I'm not a I'm not a vinyl collector, but if you were a vinyl collector, the perfect opportunity to slap an album on, drop the needle. And just chill and listen to an entire album, mm-hmm. flip it and do the same thing. Yeah. Like that. This is a perfect band for that. Perfect band for that. I agree. How do you rank these guys? This was tough because mm-hmm. they didn't really come out really great in the wash. Like I have their artistry at a 3.2, and it's all Morrison. I had their skill and artistry, I had it at 1.8. Because mm-hmm. musically, these guys really didn't have a whole lot of tools in the toolbox. I did. I don't disagree with that at all. I gave Morrison a lot of credit here. Yeah, yeah, and and one point eight may be a, a hair low, but but I still the music isolate these instruments, and you're going, wow, this is this is basic. Yeah, for sure. Um, their catalog, I've got their catalog up to a four point two. Okay, they had a solid catalog we already talked t to b so i'm not gonna hammer that but i mean even their their last album la woman that that song is fucking great yeah. and i don't necessarily dig la all that much but i mean when you put that song on you're like i get why people live out oh, there yeah. you know yeah he you know that's it really good i had him at a flat four okay uh, and i i'm with you i think i think you could throw a dart you could put all these songs on the wall and throw a dart and you've got a pretty good chance of hitting a song that is, at a minimum, very tolerable. Mm-hmm. And you might just hit that 11-minute gem, and you'll you'll never come back. Yeah. It's very Floyd. Right, right. Cool Factor. Their Cool Factor is a 3.8. And again, it's all Jim. I wish I could... I got to ding him from Manzarek. Manzarek. Raymond Manzarek. I got to ding him for that. I just can't. I just I can't can't with him. <laughs> that goofy head of hair and yeah, his round linen glasses. I had him at uh, I had him at a three. Uh, yeah. Morrison, the ultimate cool, but you're carrying three other guys, and that and, you know when you think about a band that's cool and coolness, I don't know that every band member in that band is cool. That's a discussion for another band that no, we've come at to AC on DC. that. But, yeah, right. Angus <laughs> Young. Yeah. But yeah, I, I Morrison was one hundred percent of that score mm-hmm. and nothing more. So yeah, that's why I can't pound for pound. Morrison carried his band more than any other band there out there. Yeah, I mean you can't even say the same thing about Freddie Mercury because they had super talented musicians. Super there. talented. So yeah, he he's he's with the B Squad and he brought them to you know a place where we're still talking about him fifty years from now. Right. Right. All right, I think that wraps this episode of The Idiots. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. I love this episode. I wish we could do it again. <laughs> please, <laughs> we do it again. Uh, please uh, tell your friends and, and family about us. Well, that sounds stupid, but tell anybody about us. Uh, we've seen crazy growth. You've given us oh just over 800 listens in a little over three weeks. 
on six episodes of material, and that's crazy. We're, we added another country the other day. Now we're in Ireland, so uh, we think I think we've got about eight or nine countries on us. And uh, nice. this kind of growth is uh, is really what's keeping us doing this. I mean, we're having fun doing it, but it's really exciting to see it grow. So, you know, hey, help us out, share it, tell people you know about it. It's been a lot of fun working with Keurig um, on this stuff. As you can tell, we have a lot of good times together, but um, it was, we never expected this. So we just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to two idiots, really two idiots talk about music that is sometimes good and sometimes is horrible. Um, <laughs> and we really appreciate it. It's really, um, it's fantastic. So thank you for all the support. Yeah, thanks a ton. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make any suggestions you want in terms of what you want to hear from us. And uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.